Part One, Chapter Five, Reading Two of Oblomov by Ivan Alexandrovitch Goncharov, translated by C. J. Hogarth. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Reading by Kevin Davidson. This then was the corner of the world where Oblomov passed in his sleep. Of the three or four scattered villages in the region, one was named Sosnovka and a second Vavilovka, the two being distant from one another about a verst. Together they constituted Oblomov's hereditary estate and bore the joint title of Oblomovka. In Sosnovka stood the manor-house and the farm, while five versts from the village there lay the hamlet of Vyerklavo, once the property of the Oblomovs, but long since passed into other hands. The same hamlet had attached to it a number of outlying huts. As a whole, Vierklovo belonged to a rich landowner, a constant absentee, and the estate was managed by a German bailiff. There you have the geography of this remote corner of the world. Oblomov dreamed that, age seven, he awoke in his little cot at home. He felt merry and full of life. What a goodly, handsome, plump youngster he was! with cheeks of such rotundity that, however desperately any other young scamp might have tried to rival them by inflation of his own, no competitor could possibly have succeeded. Oblomov's nurse had long been waiting for him to awake, and now she began to draw on for him his stockings. This he refused to allow her to do, which end he attained by frisking and kicking, while she tried to catch hold of his leg and the pair laughed joyously together. Finally she lifted him onto her lap and washed him and combed his hair, after which she conducted him to his mother. On seeing his long-dead parent, the sleeping Oblomov's form trembled with delight and affection, and from under his unconscious eyelids there stole and remained two burning tears. Upon him his mother showered affectionate kisses, and gazed at him with tender solicitude to see whether his eyes were clear and healthy. Did he in any way ail? she inquired. Had he, this to his nurse, slept quietly, or had he lain awake at night? Had he had any dreams? Had he been at all feverish? Lastly, she took him by the hand and led him to the sacred icon. Kneeling with one arm around his form, she prompted him in the words of the prayers, while the boy repeated them with scanty attention, since he preferred rather to turn his eyes to the windows, whence the freshness and scent of a lilac tree was flooding the room. "'Shall we go for a walk to-day, Mama? suddenly he asked. "'Yes, darling,' she replied hastily, but kept her gaze fixed upon the icon, and hurriedly concluded the sacred formula. Yet into the words of that formula her very soul was projected, whereas the little one repeated them only in nonchalant fashion. The prayer over, they went to greet his father, and then to take morning tea. Beside the table Oblomov could see seated the aunt of eighty who had always lived with them. Never did she cease to grumble at the ancient serving-maid, who, her head trembling with senility, stood behind her chair to wait upon her. Also there were present three old maiden ladies who were distant relatives of his father's, a weak-minded gentleman named Chemenkov, who was the brother-in-law of Oblomov's mother, was the owner of the seven serfs, and happened to be staying with Oblomov's parent, and certain other old men and women, 
the latter the domestic staff and retinue of the oblomov family caught hold of the little ilya ilyitch and started to heap him with caresses and attentions so much so that he had much ado to wipe away the traces of these unsought kisses then there began the feeding of the child with rolls biscuits and cream after which his mother bestowed upon him another embrace and sent him out to walk round the garden and the courtyard and the lake accompanying her farewell with particular instructions to the nurse that never must she leave the child alone for a single moment nor yet must she allow him to approach the horses the dogs or the goat nor yet must she take him far from home above all things never must the nurse suffer him to approach the ravine which was the most dreaded spot in the neighborhood and bore an evil reputation once there had been found there a dog which confessed itself a mad one inasmuch as it had run headlong from folk who chased it with hatchets and pitchforks and had disappeared behind a neighboring hill likewise to the ravine carrion was carted while robbers and wolves and various other creatures which never existed in the world at all were supposed to dwell there but to these warnings of his mother the child paid little heed already he was outside in the courtyard with gleeful surprise as though for the first time in his life he went the round of his parents establishment with its gates sagging outwards its dented roof where lichen grew its tottering veranda its various annexes and outbuildings and its overgrown garden also he yearned to ascend to the hanging gallery which girdled the house that thence he might see the river but the gallery was now in decay and scarcely able to hold together so that none but the servants trod it and at no time did the gentry walk there heedless of his mother's warnings however the little oblomov was on the point of making for its seductive steps when the nurse showed herself on the veranda and caught hold of him next he rushed from her towards the hayloft with the intention of scaling its steep ladder and just had she time to destroy successive schemes of ascending to the pigeon-coat of penetrating to the cattle-yard and heaven preserve us all making his way to the ravine god bless the child exclaimed the nurse will you be quiet then young sir you ought to be ashamed of yourself indeed the whole day as well as every day and every night was spent by her in similar alarms and excursions in alternations of torture and relief on the child's account in terror because he had fallen and broken his nose in gratification at his warm childish caress and in dim anxiety concerning his ultimate future only these and like emotions made her old heart beat and her old blood grow warm only these retained in her the drowsy life which but for them would long ago have flickered out yet the child was not always mischievous sometimes he would grow suddenly quiet as sitting beside her he gazed fixedly before him with his childish intellect taking in the various phenomena which presented themselves to his vision such phenomena were sinking fast into his mind to grow and ripen there even as it grew and ripened the morning was a splendid one and the air still fresh since the sun had not yet attained much height from the house from the trees from the dovecote and from the gallery there streamed long shadows which formed in the garden and in the orchard cool corners which invited meditation and sleep only in the distance a rye-field was glowing with flame 
and the river sparkling and flashing in the rays of the sun until actually it hurt the eyes to look at it why is it so dark in one place and bright in another asked the child will it soon be bright everywhere yes that is because the sun has come out to meet the moon and at times keeps frowning because he cannot catch sight of her by and by he will catch sight of her then he will send out his light once more the child pondered and gazed at the scene around him before him he could see antip driving the watercraft with another antip ten times as large as the real one accompanying him and the barrel of the cart looking as large as a house and the horse's shadow covering the whole of the pond then the shadows seemed to take two strides across the pond and then move behind the hill though the figure of antip had not yet left the courtyard in his turn the child took a couple of strides and then a third to see if he too would end by disappearing behind the hill which he had a great longing to ascend for the purpose of ascertaining what had become of the horse consequently he set off towards the gates but only to hear his mother calling from the window nurse nurse do you not see the boy has just run out into the sunshine pray bring him back into the shade or he will get a sunstroke and be ill and sick and unable to eat besides he might run down into the ravine oh the naughty darling the nurse muttered to herself as she dragged him back onto the veranda the child looked about him with the keen observant glance of a grown-up who is debating how best a morning can be spent not a trifle not a circumstance escaped the child's inquisitive attention so that insensibly the picture of his home life engraved itself upon his mind and his sensitive intellect nourished itself on living examples and involuntarily modelled its programme of life on the life which surrounded it never at any time could it be said that the morning was wasted in the oblomov's establishment the sound of knives in the kitchen as they minced cutlets and vegetables reached even to the village while from the servants quarters came the hum of a spindle coupled with the thin low voice of an old woman but a voice so low that with difficulty one could distinguish whether she were weeping or whether she were merely improvising to herself a mournful song without words also on antip returning with the watercraft they would advance to meet it with pails cans and pitchers a number of maid-servants and grooms while from the storehouse an old woman would vessel a meal and pile of eggs and carry them to the kitchen there on the cook suddenly throwing some water out of the window the cat rapka which with eyes fixed upon the view had spent the morning in agitating the tip of her tail and licking herself came in for a splashing the head of the family too was not idle for he spent the morning in sitting by the window and following with his eyes everything which took place in the courtyard hi ignashka what have you there you rascal he cried to a man who happened to cross the open space some knives to be sharpened in the scullery the man replied without looking at his master very well then mind you sharpen them properly next the master stopped one of the maid-servants where are you going he inquired to the cellar to get some milk for the table she replied shading her eyes with her hand good he pronounced and see that you don't spill any you zakharka where are you off to once more this is the third time i have seen you gadding about go back to your place in the hall whereupon zakharka returned to her daydreams at the post mentioned again 
As soon as the cows returned from pasture, old Oblomov was always there to see that they were properly watered. Also, when from his post at the window he chanced to observe the yard-dog chasing one of the hens, he hastened to take the necessary measures against the recurrence of such conduct. In the same way, his wife was fully employed. For three hours she discussed with Averka the tailor the best ways and means of converting a waistcoat of her husband's into a jacket for her son, herself drawing the requisite lines in chalk and seeing to it that Averka should pilfer not a morsel of the cloth. Thereafter she passed to the maid's room, where she parceled out to each damsel the day's portion of lace-making. When she departed to summon one of her personal maids to attend her in the garden, for the purpose of seeing how the apples were swelling, which of them had fallen, or were turning ripe, which trees wanted grafting or pruning, and so forth. But her chief care was in the kitchen, and the dinner. Concerning the latter she consulted the entire household, including the aged aunt. Each member of the family proposed a special dish, and the sum of these proposals was taken into consideration, adjudicated upon in detail, and adopted or rejected according to the final decision of the mistress. From time to time also a maid was dispatched to the culinary regions to remind the cook of this, or to tell her to add that, or to instruct her to change the other while conveying to her sugar, honey, and wine for flavoring, and also seeing to it that the said cook was using everything which had been measured out. In fact, the supervision of food was the first and principal domestic preoccupation of Oblomovka. What calves were not fattened for the year's festivals? What poultry was not reared? What forethought and care and skill were not devoted to the consumption of comestibles? Game-fowls and pullets were set apart solely for birthdays and other solemn occasions, wherefore they were stuffed with nuts. For the same reason geese were caught several days beforehand and hung up in bags until wanted, in order that, being restrained from exercise, they might put on the more fat. And what a roasting, a pickling, and a baking would sometimes take place! And what mead and kvass were there not brewed, and what pies were there not compounded! Until noon, therefore, everything at Oblomovka was in a state of bustle and commotion. Life was indeed full and ant-like, and in evidence, even on Sundays and holidays, those labor-loving ants did not desist from their toil, and on such days the clatter of knives in the kitchen sounded louder and more rapid than ever. A maid made several journeys from the storeroom to the kitchen with double quantities of meal and eggs, and in the poultry run an added amount of cackling and of bloodshed took place. Likewise, on such days there was baked a gigantic pie which was eaten by the gentry on the same and the following days, and by the maids on the third and fourth, after which, should it survive to the fifth day, the last stale remnants, devoid of stuffing, were given as a special favor to Antip, who, crossing himself, undauntedly attacked the rock-hard fragments, though it was in the thought that it had recently been the gentry's pie rather than in the pie itself that he took most delight. Even as an archaeologist rejoices to drink even the poorest wine from the shell of a thousand-year-old vessel. All this the boy noted with his childish, ever-watchful mind. He perceived that after mornings thus usefully and busily spent there ensued noon and dinner, on the present occasion noontide was sultry, and not a cloud was in the sky. Indeed, the sun seemed to be standing still to scorch the grass. 
and the air to have ceased to circulate, to be hanging without the slightest movement. Neither from tree nor lake could the faintest rustle be heard, and over the village and the countryside there hung an unbroken stillness, as though everything in them were dead. Only from afar could a human voice be distinguished, while some twenty shazans away the drone of a flying beetle, with the snoring of someone who had sunk into the thick herbage to enjoy a refreshing sleep, came gently to ear. Even the house was possessed by silence as of death, for the hour of post-prandial slumber had arrived. The boy's father, mother, and aged grand-aunt with their attendants could be seen disposed in various corners, and should not any one possess a particular corner, he or she repaired either to the hayloft or to the garden or to a cool resting-place among the growing hay, or with face protected from the flies with a handkerchief, to a spot where the scorching heat would assist digestion after the enormous dinner. Even the gardener stretched himself out beneath a bush by the side of his plot, and the coachman in the stable. Little Oblomov proceeded to peep into the servants' hall, where the inmates were sleeping as though slumber had become an epidemic. On the benches, on the floor, and on the threshold they slept, while their children crawled about the courtyard and fashioned mud-pies. Indeed, the very dogs had crawled into their kennels, since there was no longer anyone to bark at. In short, one might have traversed the entire establishment without meeting a single soul, and everything in it could with ease have been stolen, and removed in carts from the courtyard, since no one would have been there to prevent the deed. The prevailing lethargy was all-consuming, all-conquering, a true image of death, seeing that but for the fact that from various corners there came snores in different notes and keys, everyone seemed wholly to have departed this life. Only at rare intervals would someone raise his head with a start, gaze around with vacant eyes, and then turn over to the other side. After dinner the child accompanied his nurse for a second airing out of doors, Yet despite her mistress's injunctions and her own resolves, the old woman could not altogether resist the general call of sleep, and began to fall a victim to the all-prevalent malady of Oblomovka. At first she kept a vigilant eye upon her little charge, and chiding him for his waywardness, never let him stray from her side. But presently, after giving him strict instructions not to go beyond the gates, nor to interfere with the goat, nor climb either the dovecote or the gallery, she settled herself in a shady spot, with the ostensible intention of at once knitting a stocking, and of watching over young Oblomov. Next she took to checking him only in lazy fashion, as her head nodded, and she said to herself, "'Look, you, he will certainly climb those stairs to the gallery, or else,' her eyes had almost closed, "'he will run down into the ravine.' With that her head sank forward, and the stocking slipped from her hands. In a second her open mouth had emitted a gentle snore, and the boy had disappeared from her vision. Needless to say, this was the moment which the youngster had been impatiently waiting, for it marked the beginning of an independent existence. And he was now alone in the wide, wide world. On tiptoe he left the nurse's side, and peeping cautiously at the other slumberers, kept stopping to throw a second glance at any one who chanced to stir or to spit or to snuffle in his sleep at last with a tremor of joy in his heart 
he made for the gallery ascended the creaking stairs at a run scaled also the dovecote explored the recesses of the garden listened to the buzzing of beetles and followed with his eyes their flight through the air next on hearing a chirping sound in the grass he sought and captured the disturber of the public peace in the shape of a dragonfly whose wings he proceeded to tear off and his body to impale upon a straw in order that he might see how thus hampered the creature would contrive to fly afterwards fearing almost to breathe he watched a spider suck blood from a captured fly while the wretched victim struggled and buzzed in the spider's claws finally the tragedy was brought to an end by the boy slaying both torturer and tortured next he repaired to the moat to search for sundry small roots which he knew of which found he peeled them and then devoured the same with relish in the make-believe that they were the apples and preserves which his mamma was accustomed to give him this item exhausted he hied him through the entrance gates his object in doing so was to reach a birch copse which looked to him so close at hand that should he take the direct route and not the circuitous high road that is to say should he walk straight across the moat and through the osier plantation he would be able to attain his goal in five minutes but alas he felt afraid for he had heard tales of wood goblins of brigands and of fearsome wild beasts next the spirit moved him to make for the ravine which lay a hundred paces from the garden so running to the edge of the declivity and puckering his eyes he gazed into its depths as into vulcan's crater suddenly to his mind recurred all the tales and traditions concerning the spot and terror seized him and half dead half alive he rushed back and threw himself into his nurse's arms awakened she sprang up straightened the cap on her head arranged her gray curls with one finger and pretended never to have been asleep at all glancing suspiciously at little Ilya, and then at the gentry's windows she began with tremulous hands to work the knitting needles of the stocking which had been lying in her lap meanwhile the heat had decreased and everything in nature had revived a little since the sun was fast declining towards the forest gradually the stillness indoors also began to be broken here and there a door creaked footsteps could be heard crossing the yard and someone sneezed in the hayloft soon from the kitchen a man came hurrying under the weight of a huge samovar and the entire household then assembled for tea one man with his face flushed and his eyes still dim another man with red marks on his cheeks and temple a third speaking in a voice not his own for drowsiness and all of them snuffling wheezing yawning scratching their heads and stretching themselves in a semi-waking condition it seemed that dinner and sleep had combined to arouse an unquenchable thirst which parched the throat for even dozens of cupfuls of tea could not assuage it and amidst a chorus of sighs and grunts resort had to be made to bilberry wine to peri to kvass and even to more medicinal methods of moistening this avidity of gullet the company sought relief from thirst as from a heaven-sent plague and all felt as exhausted as though they were travelling in the arabian desert and could nowhere find a spring by his mother's side the child gazed at the strange faces around him and listened to the drowsy drawling talk 
Yet the spectacle delighted him, and he found each stray word interesting. End of Part 1, Chapter 5, Reading 2 Recording by Kevin Davidson www.blogordie.com